Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. I'm so excited to tell you a bit about today's sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, Music Masters Collective hosts different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Bill Frizzell, Kurt Rosenwinkel, Julian Lodge, Mark Rabot, Wayne Krantz, Oteil Burbridge, the Milk Carton Kids, and so many more. At an event like Alternative Guitar Summit Camp happening this August, you can expect in-depth workshops with guitar masters, once-in-a-lifetime performances, the opportunity to play alongside your favorite musicians, and a lot of fun. You'll leave this event packed full of wisdom and with a whole community of musicians to create with. This all-inclusive week in the Catskills Mountains of Upstate New York is guaranteed to be magical. Scholarships are available, but spots are extremely limited. So visit www.alternativeguitarsummitcamp.com backslash inside to learn more. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Osiris. Greetings, everyone. You are tuned in to Inside the Musician's Brain, and I'm your host, Chris Pandolfi from the infamous String Dusters, and today we are actually going to go in-depth with the Dusters. We have a new record that just came out last week, February 18th, 2022, called Toward the Fray. So a little later on in this episode, you're going to hear a handful of interviews that I did with everyone in the band breaking down some of these new songs we sat down backstage the day is actually the day before one of our anthem shows with green sky a few weeks back and got them to tell us how these songs came to life with instrument in hand so really interesting i did a spot like this i think in season one talking about the duster song planets and people seem to dig that so we're gonna Go inside five musical brains that I'm well acquainted with, my own included. So stick around for that. That's a little later on in this episode. This season, I have some 
amazing sponsors that I'm working with who are helping me make this podcast happen and who are also brands and companies that do really cool things that I'm, I'm proud to be associated with. And one of those is ArtistWorks, a really popular, really effective online music learning platform that is for players of all levels. So if you've just taken up a new instrument or even if you're a very experienced musician years down the road still trying to improve, they have 42 world-renowned master musicians who teach a wide range of instruments and styles. Probably the coolest thing they've got going on is their patented video exchange learning platform where you send in videos of yourself playing and you get videos back from the teachers critiquing and, and giving you different pointers, you know, specific to what you've got going on musically. We've had a few artist works instructors here on the pod, including Chris Eldridge from the Punch Brothers, the amazing Sierra Hull, and I think we've got some more in the pipeline too. So check all of that out at artistworks.com. We are also brought to you by Ricard Banjos. Love this company. They make some really cool instruments. My thing that I love from Ricard are their 10 to 1 Cyclone banjo tuners. And if you're a banjo player or any kind of string player, you know how important it is to be in tune. So helpful with following the thought in the music, staying inspired, staying creative. And that is especially true on stage. I started using these tuners within the last few years. They were recommended to me by my buddies Ned Lubarecki and Russ Carson, and they are just really, really high quality. Ricard makes great instruments. They've got all kinds of great banjo-related stuff, so make sure to check them out. And our other season-long sponsor this year is Orvis, which I couldn't be more excited about because I love fly fishing. Very passionate fisherman, conservationist. I've loved Orvis's stuff for a long time, and then in recent years, I've gotten to know some of the Orvis team, and I would just say I'm a very genuine fan of this brand. They make awesome stuff, and I especially love the Helios rods. I took a Helios 8 weight with me to the jungle in Bolivia a few years ago to fish for Golden Dorado, and that rod was just a beast, one of my favorites. And I'm sitting here looking at their Fly Fishing Learning Center through their website, which is an amazing and vast resource. If you're a fly fisherman, if you just want to get into it, or if you're experienced and want, want to take your game to the next level, there's a lot of great stuff here. I also love that Orvis is so dedicated to conservation. This is such a crucial issue right now, conservation, the environment in general. And if you're like me, if you pay attention to environmental issues, I mean, it's, it's impossible not to these days. But, you know, the issues are one thing, but what to actually do about it, it can be an overwhelming and confusing Question. So I'm going to just dedicate a few minutes of this season to a few simple ideas that, that we can all undertake to further conservation efforts and in turn help the environment. And one thing that Orvis has been involved with and Trout Unlimited, which I'm a Trout Unlimited member, great group to be a part of if you are a fly fisherman or a conservationist. And they are pointing a lot of their energy toward removing the dams on the Snake River in the Pacific Northwest. These dams, along with climate change, have had a really, really tough impact on native fish populations, salmon and steelhead, and in turn, a really, really harsh impact on the environment. I'm not going to go all the way into it here. I'm going to write something on my website, chrispandolfi.com, if you want to check out more background. But one quick point I want to share here is that this is an effort that is working. There are great examples of that. So like this is somewhere where you can really make a difference. And if you 
do want to do something about it, super simple. You just contact Governor Jay Inslee, Senator Patty Murray up in Washington State, and you don't even have to be from Washington. And I literally just did this. It took like two minutes. I've done it before, but I did it again today. You can do it. You can make a phone call. You can email through the website, voice your support for Snake River Dam removal, and you can make a difference here, which is which is pretty incredible. And, you know, zooming out from this specific regional issue, if you have concerns about the environment, climate change, taking action, no matter how small, can make a difference. And it can also make a difference in the way that you feel about it. And it's empowering and it's important. So just wanted to leave that there for you. I'm going to be sharing more things that can be done, more information as the season unfolds. I'll also be sharing background, et cetera, at my website, chrispandolfi.com. And yeah, this is just something that I feel really, really strongly about. So thank you all for listening and thank you for taking action. And now let's get back to the music. Check it out, guys. New String Dusters record, Toward the Fray, just dropped last week on February 18th. I have painted all these walls, still they haunt me. At night. That's a song called I'm Not Alone, one of my favorites right there from this new album that just came out. That's one Travis wrote, and I'm going to sit down with Travis. I'm going to sit down with all the dusters. I'm going to sit down with myself, and we are going to break down five of the new songs on this record and explain how they came to life. That's a little bit later on. This album was different. This was recorded in the fall of 2020, so... Just to kind of set the stage, we were still just in no man's land. You know, I think that the reality that the pandemic was here to stay had definitely set in. And it was, you know, I think this, I guess, was an effort to kind of get on with things. You know, let's keep making music, even though we can't play new shows. Let's take advantage of this time. But ordinarily, when we, the String Dusters, make a record, there is a lot that goes into it before we actually hit the studio pre-production we'll get together we'll first we'll you know work on writing individually we'll share those songs and start to get a sense of kind of what the top list is and then we would come together for a few multi-day sessions in a you know an airbnb and work on these songs and figure out some initial arrangements, get a sense of what's really working, and then, you know, kind of get selective and take the songs that are going to be on the album that extra mile through that duster arrangement process, which I I always tell people it's it's a pretty quintessential phase of the writing because that's when we take a song and we make it quintessentially string duster. We're all working out parts on our instruments and sections of the songs, who's going to solo where, little hooks, little riffs, and it's just a lot of trial and error. Hey, here's another idea. Let's try this. And that just kind of goes on and on until things start to settle in a comfortable spot and we feel like we're making decisions that really serve the song best, bring the song to life. Well, we didn't have time for any of that this time around. We, We had a you know, shared space online where we put our latest, greatest songs. And then we got together and we learned, we played these songs for the very first time a day and a half before we got in the studio. And I think this comes up on some of these interviews that you're about to hear or variations on this theme. But 
perhaps the silver lining of having to make all this happen in such a short amount of time was that we didn't have time to overcook these songs. We had to rely on the songs themselves, and we also had to rely on all of these ways that we've learned to make music together over the years. You know, we have a go-to kind of set of grooves and different ways to play our instruments that we know can work together. And we had to really call on all that and call on it quickly to get through, like I said, about a day and a half of learning the music and arranging it. And then, boom, we are right into the studio. And I have to say, I'm really proud of this album. I think it's got some great songs. I think it's got some great, very, very honest musical statements. And I also think that it covers subject matter in the lyrics and and takes on a direction that is sort of a departure for us. And we're focusing on themes and issues that are just omnipresent today, things that I think as we are getting a little older as people, these are just things that we're noticing more. And, you know, that awareness is kind of the first step toward action. And it's a step that we find ourselves all taking together. And when we collected all these songs, there were a lot of common themes, a lot of common threads. And it's just really an awesome process. It was it was challenging a little bit for me. You know, we had been off for so long. And that edge that you develop around performing and playing, I think, Maybe that was something that we took for granted before this giant long pause and something that we're really tuning up again now that we're playing a lot of shows. But it was, I think, five or six days in the studio here in Denver, and Toward the Fray was born, or on its way to being born. And I'm proud of us for sticking with this album format that is so hotly kind of debated in today's music business climate, but I'm such... A believer in the album. I love albums. Sometimes when I go on streaming platforms and I hear a song that I like and then I go try to track down that artist and they only have like that one song or maybe a few singles, there's always something just, I don't know, disappointing for me in that moment. And I really believe that, you know, when you make just one song, well, there's one new song that you've got to play. But when you make an album as a band, as a collective of musicians, you work on all this new music. To me, that's when you really push your craft forward. That's when you really evolve as individuals, as a group, as songwriters, as players. That's when the String Dusters get to evolve and refine our vision as a band. And it's always a process that I have loved. That's why I have a recording studio here in my house where I am sitting right this very minute. That's why I love to work as a producer. And that's just why making an album is so important, such a benchmark moment in your career, in your growth, in your evolution. It's also a big moment for a band like ours in the live show because, you know, we hold these songs back until the album drops and then boom, the show just gets this infusion of new material. And oftentimes we'll we'll kind of rearrange things for the live environment to, you know, create sections that are a little, you know, have a little bit more improv or extended and that starts a whole other learning process. So big album believer over here. Do you guys listen to albums in their entirety or, you know, streaming services certainly don't, they don't push you in that direction, but it's cool. Vinyl does the vinyl experience having, actual records that you can look at, touch and feel. I think that's been 
such a central part of the vinyl resurgence is the album listening experience, which is great. So let's do this. Let's not just go toward the fray. Let's go all the way inside the fray. Let's go inside the music. It's like VH1, Behind the Music, String Dusters edition. And first up, Mr. Andy Hall. When will I ride again? Sitting here with my man Andy Hall, and we're going to talk about his song on our new record called When Will I Ride Again, also known as Tragic 2, as in the second installment of Tragic Life, right? Yeah, that's it. That is a, it's a sequel to our, our old song, Tragic Life, off our first record. Um, and so all these years later, we finally come up with the sequel story to this character's uh life and uh you know it's been a long time coming jeremy and i wrote the first one tragic life and uh then took a 15 year hiatus 15 year hiatus (laughs) been been searching for this guy's story for a while and and we finally found it here with this with this song so well and it's cool because because tragic one is sort of like a kind of a cult favorite in the string dusters world and it's funny because you never know which songs are going to achieve that status, but that one definitely is a fan favorite. Yeah, and it's it's never been a, like a, a radio favorite, but it's definitely yeah like a fan favorite, and it's it's unique. I mean, it's kind of a it's like a western. You know, the story is that of just like a classic western almost, and we don't really have too many story songs, or certainly not you know like westerns. And, and so this this second installment is it. It completes the story. Well, we don't know, but it certainly uh, it certainly uh, extends the story. But yeah, it's it's it. You know, there's a protagonist, a, you know, fictional protagonist in in the song in the, in the original Tragic Life, and this is you know what happens to this character uh, after we last saw him. You know, in in the first song, so. Um, Jeremy and I wrote this during, yeah, during the pandemic, like pretty much all these songs I think we did. Um, And did you guys have an idea of where this thing was headed or did that all have to be fleshed out once you reopened the Tragic Life book? Yeah, we didn't have, I don't think we had an idea of what was going to happen. We just knew that there was a story there and something to do, something to tell. And it was, you know, it was very fertile ground. I knew it took us a while to dig into it, but once we did, I just, you anything could have happened to this person. So it's kind of like wide open, you know? Um, and it's a, it's an interesting thing when you start with the story. And so this was definitely one of the a type of song where I started with, you know, lyrics as opposed to music first, because I think Jeremy and I just started emailing and we're just sending back and forth ideas of things that could have happened to this person. So, so the co-write effort started with you and started with the lyrical content. That was kind of the first thing that came about. Yeah. I mean, it was just Jeremy and I just hit each other up on email, just saying, you know, let's, let's get figure out what happens to this, what happens. And then eventually I think we, you know, one of, I don't remember one of us just starts, you know, we started riffing on ideas via email. The whole song was written over email and, um, and 
I think the idea came up, the idea of when will I ride again came up. This, this character in the first song gets shot and is struggling to survive in the desert. And that's the last we hear of him. And so now, um, we find that he's holed up in a, in a town south, maybe south of the border, kind of laying low because he had been pursued by the law. And he has to hide out, right? And so this idea of when will I ride again? This person's a cowboy. They like right. to be riding on the wind type of vibe. But they're having to like lay low and stay hidden and not be out on the plains and rambling around the, like they want to. And when that idea came up, it was like, oh, well, that's us now, too, in the pandemic. It was interesting. We wrote it during, like, the crux of the shutdown, like early pandemic days where everything's really shut down. And so it was kind of cool. It had this double meaning of the character, when will they ride again? But also, when will we ride again? When hmm. will we play music and go on tour? Because at that time, it was all so up in the air. And right. no shows were just canceling, and you didn't know... Was it going to be in a couple months? Was it going to be in six months, a year? And so all that meaning was wrapped up in the lyrics as we went along. And now we're trying to ride again. Yeah, but we're it's still a, it's a day-to-day effort. But it's a, we, yeah, we're, we're riding this old mare as, as far as we right. can. I still ask myself, when will I really ride again? Yeah, but yeah, but yeah. for now, there's, there is some riding going on. So t- take us in, inside the, the musical aspect of mm-hmm. it. So, you know... When you're writing this one, what comes first? Like certain chords or a certain tonality? Were you working on that on dobro or how did that all come together? Yeah, it's interesting when you're when you're writing. I've never done something like this where you write a sequel to a previously written song. So, you know, you which gives you kind of a lot of information. You want it to maybe, at least I thought, Jeremy and I wanted it to have some musical vibe relationship to the original, but of course be different. Um, and so, you know, keeping that in mind, it's got a darker kind of, um, mysterious minor chords. chords, Exactly. Um, I knew I, I knew I wanted it to be bluegrass that it just, uh, you know, like a bluegrass beat. And, um, but this one definitely started with the lyrics, you know, which a lot of times, you know, when I personally write, I start, a lot of times I come up with melodies and chords first and fit lyrics to that. But this one, because we were telling a story, we, Jeremy and I really were flushing out a lot of the story, uh, the lyrical content first, and then, you know, kind of going back and trying musical ideas that might work with that. But we, Hmm. you know, once we had the, when will I ride again idea, we knew that was a kind of like the chorus that was going to be the crux of like the chorus and so we could develop that for like the chorus part um and then yeah it was just coming up with some chords that matched um the the vibe and it you know i mean that this it starts with just this actually that change right there where the second time it goes up to the d that came about when we all got together as a band. It just kept repeating this when we had it done. Uh, yeah. I think it was just like repeating this. But somebody, you know, and so this is the great thing about when you bring a song to the string dusters, there can just be one little change that somebody's like, hey, why don't we go to this other chord? So the the songs develop all the way to the end when you, even beyond when you bring them to the band. But, um, but yeah, so it had this kind of minor, it's almost like a repeating kind of, yeah, just mysterious little vibe. And um, Now, when, you, when yeah. you write something like that, do you typically do that 
on dobro or, or are you using an acoustic guitar when you're working out? So that little ideas? line, which is just the intro, that actually came after. Really, I'm just playing chords. And so like a line like that comes after when you want something melodic to go with the chords you already came up with. Gotcha. So for I'm on guitar usually writing this stuff and singing. I mean, that's just, it's, it's, I write primarily on guitar and then it's kind of cool for me because I write on guitar and then when I have the sort of the whole outline of the song with the chords and the melody, that structure, then I can take it to Dobro where I can add like um, signature lines or melodic things oh, that hooks can, and, hooks and things. Yeah. Exactly. So that's what the Dobro is good for. So the Dobro is kind of like comes later and is more like the icing that goes over the song, but the nuts and bolts all happen on guitar for me. Yeah. It, it's an interesting thing when you think about songwriting and how bluegrass has evolved it's definitely part of the world that we live in now is it's not just chords and a melody. There's always like hooks and mm -hmm. riffs. And that's always something that can really kind of beef up a song and uh, an instrumental portion that everyone can come together on as opposed right. to just I'm playing chords right now or now I'm playing the melody or a solo. But so so what about the the actual chords behind the song? Who came up with that part? Um, I, I think Jeremy and I were sending like little audio files, maybe back and forth. I was kind of running ideas by him and, you know, he would, you know, comment. And again, I think we came up with the chorus first. Um, yeah. And it's, it, these things are like puzzles. It's really, to me, it's becomes fun to figure them out. Once, once you get enough of a song to where you feel like, Oh, I have something good. I think this is good here. That's that at that point, you're, it's more fun. You know, yeah. it's always a bit scary in a way before you have like the substantive bit of the song where you say, oh, this is good because you're just, you're like, I don't know if I'm, what I'm going to get. You still don't know if you're going to get something good. But once you have like that chorus, um, when will I ride again? upon my broken skin. behind one way or another. And that right there, that's a common technique that I'll use where like I'll, I'll do one type of chord progression where the chords are slower, and then when it gets to the crux of the chorus, I speed them up, you know? Yeah, yeah, so it's yeah. like, you know, when will I ride again? And this is almost like a pre-chorus. Feeling upon my broken skin, and then they move faster And that's where you say, I, we say tragic life. We, right. we use the old song title of tragic life in the new chorus which is pretty cool and so when we say that leave this tragic life behind the chords are moving fast one way or another i'll ride again so you have the old title in the chorus and then you say at the end the the new title and it's kind yeah. of kind of a, it was a cool little puzzle with different elements that aren't common for me anyway in songwriting where you're like tying two songs together and a, continuing a story and, and well and it's like songwriting has these different phases and oftentimes you come up with sort of the thing that you think is really the cool part of the song but then there's actually a lot of work left to create you know they it can't all be the hook you right. know it's you gotta fill it out with music and lyrics that support that sort of origin idea um, and, and help to kind of bring it to life as a song, but I need to fit with everything that's come before. But 
you know, it, it can't all be the chorus. So yeah. sometimes that's the hardest part is like filling it out. Yeah, exactly. Because you don't, it's like for verses, you know, that, and that's pretty common. Like for me, musically, there's a lot more, for the way I write, a lot of times there's more action in the chorus and the verses are kind of more simple. Cool. Um, and, and that's how this one is. Uh, you know, uh, I never thought I'd live this long. I never thought I'd sing this song. Just all similar. Yeah. Out on the dusty plains. And just then the action kind of picks yeah, up. Yeah, and then the you start going somewhere. I'm right up. again. Again, this is almost like a pre chorus. Upon my broken skin. And then you're moving. This jazzy glad behind one way or another. And then. That was a question mark. That last chord, the dominant chord, to bring you back to the, to the minor. Um, sort of main tonic of the song was I wasn't sure if it, that was too sort of hokey or weird but it ended up being a perfect timing wise one way or another boom yeah. all right again fit right in that space so it ended up being a perfect little and then chord to kind of fully wrap up the chorus and then yeah. start over so. right back into the riff right and then you do your riff yeah then yeah. you do so are you guys gonna you're going to wait another 16 years to write your next song together. Man, I don't know, but I, I love the story song, and, and Jeremy and I both have an affinity for, like, the Western culture and stories and, you know, all that vibe. And yeah. so, yeah, hopefully we can write. I mean, you know, when you, when you find something that, you know, especially, like, with a bandmate that you have a penchant for or there's something that works for you, you know, why not keep, keep hitting yeah. on it, you know? Well, and I can't wait to see how this one unfolds in the live environment because tragic one you know on the record it was this one thing but like a lot of songs that we do we had to really kind of reimagine it for the live environment and that's when it kind of became the the cult classic that it is yeah and that's what's great about bringing these to when they get to be played live is is they sometimes demand a, uh, a little adjustment to really make it work and get in a whole new life so yeah, yeah excited about it cool man Thanks, Thanks for joining us. Yes. Tell me what you're thinking, what is on your mind. Tell me what's the reason you've drawn such a hard, hard line. Tell me what it gets you, and is it worth the cost? What have you won? What have you lost? To the tone of what you say It sounds like your defenses Are only getting in your way Everything is coming From a crooked point of view The truth Can't be just What you choose Is there some kind of way We can talk it out And head for higher ground Find our way What's up, G-Grass? Hey, what's up, Panda? <laughs> Thanks for joining me, man. We've got the amazing, talented Mr. Jeremy Garrett here. And we're going to talk through one of your songs on Tour of the Fray. What do we got? Uh, well, I thought it'd be cool to do maybe Hardline, uh, talk about that, how that kind of came about. I love that song. Yeah, so, so I know that you've got stuff on this record, including this song that definitely takes on 
more lyrically and 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 digs into current events and and all of the unavoidable things that are a part of life now was that a a goal of yours going into these writing sessions or was that more just kind of what came out when you sat down to to make new music well a lot of times i just really write what's on my heart and kind of what i'm feeling in the moment just what I'm experiencing, um, what I might be going through, or you know, what are people around me kind of going through that sticks out to me. And I co-write a lot, so a lot of these songs, you know, like this particular song I wrote with John Weisberger, who I've written nearly 100 songs with now, so we have a really good flow with our writing. And uh, it's a lot of fun and interesting to write with him because we know what we're doing now as far as like our goals together when we write. So what and, do you what uh, do you mean by that? Like you guys have roles that you sort of take yeah, on regularly in these sessions? Always, you know, I, I'm I'm always of the mindset that I want to go into a co-writing session always with a musical idea. So I'll have maybe even two or three different types of hooks with music and melodies maybe or feels just to kind of throw at my co-writer to sure. see how they're feeling. And then we pick one, we kind of hone it in a little bit and go from there lyrically speaking with John. What I mean by that is like we, we tend to write a lot of things that are on our hearts, like current moods or moments or, you know, try to get in a little deeper to the human sort of experience, you know, rather than cool. just writing about a regular bluegrass relationship or something, you know. So uh, when we dig in, we have goals like let's stay vague. Let's make sure we write something that many people can identify with. But let's also say what we're saying, you know, with purpose and meaning and the most meaningful way that we can. And uh, so we also try to, you know, maybe talk about a message in our songs. But the angle is trying to be not too preachy. So trying to balance that line is something that we, uh, you know, we we have a pretty good flow with. And uh, Cool. Yeah. So, so what about this song? So like, what was the seed element of this song that either you or John brought to the session that kind of started things off and got them rolling? Yeah. Well, I wrote this melody thing on guitar actually, which I write most of my stuff on guitar uh, as far as like how I start a song. They often start on guitar and uh, I play in drop D a lot um, because as a solo artist, it just fills out my sound a little bit and which, which for the uninitiated just means that your lowest string is tuned down from an E to that low D, which it just gives the music yeah. this kind of epic sound. And it can be both warm and also, you know, more aggressive. Yeah. Which is kind of what I went for on this song. And the, uh, you know, and the, you play out of that D position on guitar put a capo on and move that around and you know I try to write songs that fit my voice which a lot of time I sing in the key of F uh, but that has been translating sometimes to D and E really nicely depending on the melody this particular melody is a little bit more rangy than I normally write so but it still fits my voice and uh, that's always something I try to keep in mind as I'm writing a song like if I'm going to maybe be able to pitch this song to somebody you know per se like is it too rangy? Can yeah. you know, a normal voice cut this thing, or is this just written for me? You know, or how 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 do I approach that melody? So because because you don't necessarily know when you go to write a no. song, or when you're in a session with John by yourself, 
this could be a song that's going to be on a string dosers record. It could be a song that you pitched to Del McCurry or wh- whatever. Right. You yeah, don't know you just, that stuff before. As part of the portfolio of what I do in music, it's just like, you know, this is part of that art creative piece, you know, that you, you try. And like you say, you don't know where it's going to go. Right. So I think the best, you know, the best approach is just let it be what it's going to be. Whatever right. it is, is what it is. And, and if you do it enough, you'll find things for you. You'll find things for other people. I tend to end up really cutting most of my own songs in some form or another, whether it's on a solo project or uh, with the band, the String Dusters. You know, they just kind of certain songs fit certain ways. And so when I write, I'm really hoping that I come up with a really super awesome song for myself. Well, that's cool. <laughs> and that, that speaks to who you are as an artist because you really you know and for those of you who don't know jeremy has an amazing catalog of solo stuff check out his spotify page and there's a lot a lot of music there you know because you're you are a powerful prolific songwriter but you're just as much an artist and and most people usually kind of fall more into one camp or the other but you know you're a guy who writes a lot of awesome songs but also makes a lot of your own music and music with the dusters so I can see how, you know, it sounds like things are sort of tailored, you know, they they lean toward like music that's going to work for you because you have such an outlet for it. Yeah. And I, I, I really do love to do, you know, a song that is all finished and, and you're proud of, you know, it's satisfying to be able to be able to have something to pull off that's you and kind of all you, you yeah. know, it's your words, your heart, your right. melody, your, there's a lot of power in your that. vision. Yeah. It's, it's really fun and, uh, you know, creatively satisfying. So for this song, w- was that, you know, you're playing sort of that like D F G one yeah. flat three, four progression. Was that kind of what started this one off? Yeah. I think I was just messing around. You know, I like to just kind of see if, if chords or a melody can be inspired, I'll play it one day. I won't record it, and I'll actually wait to see if it comes back to me, like the next huh. day or a couple of days later. If it comes back to me, I feel like it's good. If it doesn't, then I, it doesn't matter. It's okay. just garbage. So <laughs> this, I, no, I, I, so, I love that. It's so very this true. Kind of, you know, I think what I first came up with was. Uh, That's kind of like, that was the first thing I sort of designed on the song, I guess, that came to me. And I, I just love old time, you know, I'm steeped in bluegrass, traditional bluegrass music and gospel music. And so I was kind of getting into writing these old time melodies right around that time and just, you know, seeing what I could inspire that didn't sound like all the other old time melodies that have already been written, the many thousands of songs. So I try to let the bluegrass influence that a little bit, you know, a little bit of old time. But uh, that's kind of, I came up with that riff and then, uh, you know, I like to incorporate modern approaches to music too, because I don't think in terms of music theory when I write a song. I think in terms more of like color or vibe or energy, you know. So what do you mean by what's a modern musical element A modern musical element to me would be like maybe stealing from, from a, like a heavy metal, say, Stone Temple Pilot kind of vibe to bring into an element of bluegrass and old time. Cool. It's surprising how well sometimes that works. And so in the middle of that song, I kind of do this thing where I go... Mm-hmm. 
that's that that thing there is kind of like a heavy that's metal. Heavy metal all you, the way. You know, right there. <laughs> so no, I hear you. I love it. Uh, but I love to bring that kind of element in to, to modernize a sure. traditional sounding melody, and along with trying to hopefully upgrade lyrics that speak to what we feel now, you know, as right. opposed to a hundred years ago. Well, and it's cool too because that musical idea and just that sound in general, the tuning, the way you're playing it, really matches the song. Yeah. And the lyrics. And so where did the lyrics start? And how did, was that you? Was that John? How did that get rolling? I think we were both feeling, you know, we wrote this over Zoom. And I was in the back of my truck because where I live, I don't really have any internet or I didn't at the time. And so I had to have to drive out to this mountainside to write songs with people. And I would do it over Zoom and I had a way to do it inside my truck. And, uh, you know, I just remember pretty vividly, you know, this pandemic thing, it's all started. Politics were very ugly and bad. And and uh, I think John and I, you know, we, we have similar viewpoints. Not, you know, not all, like everybody. We, we have different ideas on things, I think. But, like, we think a lot alike in some ways. And, you know, I've learned a lot from him also, you know, over the years. We've been friends for many years now. But we, of course, were just kind of feeling what all that was, you know, the politics and, and the ugliness of our, like, fellow people that we love very dearly you know and uh so the song is kind of really all about that you know it's 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 about you know hey you know there's all this news and information out there and you think you're right i think i'm right and we're taking a stance and it's a hard line and why are we taking such a hard line on this you know especially when uh sometimes we don't really know what we're talking about you know well and it's such a great question to ask because that is one of the hallmarks of all of this crazy division is like everyone thinks they need to have this hard and fast opinion on every single issue that's out there. And furthermore, we're all sort of being trained to think that if we change those opinions, there's something wrong with that. That's and right. there's not, you know, we need to be able to evolve as people, but there aren't a lot of things out there telling us that that evolution is okay. That's right. But in this song, I love, yeah, I love how, there, there's that idea of like the, taking the hard line and then this idea of like, can't we like look for higher ground? I love that line and just that concept because we are, it does seem like we're all sort of trapped in this, you know, soup of opinions where nothing is getting figured out and we need to all kind of like take the high road, look for higher ground. That's right. I think we got to, we got to try to find some positivity uh, between all of ourselves, you know, again, and that common ground. And, and you know, I, f I feel like when we're trying to write that type of message, it can be really challenging because, you know, you don't want to come off as preachy, like you're trying right. to, like, tell somebody how to think because that's not what we're doing. In fact, we often will write, when we write together, we'll ask questions in the song so that that's what all, all we're doing, basically, is just asking those questions. And then, you know, a lot of times we will take the chorus or the hook of the song and twist it into a positive vibe. If we're like negative or maybe a little darker in the verses, you know, talking about heavier content, we'll try to make a hopeful message sort of blossom out of that in the choruses. You know? And the music on this song matches that where the verses are in that very sort of almost like power chord modal, yeah. you know, not necessarily all the way minor, but really they've got that like kind of, you know, angry sound, but then on the chorus, you go to the major chords. That's right. 
and and that's by design almost like yeah. taking this gives one- it a little lift you yeah. know and and kind of gives it give you some hope within the song you know before you go back to that sort of more aggro like alice and krauss and union station vibe you know? yeah can you uh play us uh yeah so let's all have a conversation across the great divide and listen to the voices coming from the other side don't give up believing in what you think is right let's all have someone else to see the light is there some kind of way we can talk it out song goes <laughs> trying to remember how it starts but i think i'll find it well i love this song i'm not alone really really awesome song and i know when we finished the record this was one that that really hit me because you know as things are going down you don't have a chance to really digest it as a listener but when i finally got around to that i i really love this one and i'm excited to hear how it came to life so take us take us through the process cool well you know uh early in the pandemic not to bring it back to that but it seems like that keeps coming up early in the pandemic i was getting on instagram and hanging out online because i was you know at the house a lot and it was fun to just fire it up and see who was see who was out there and and i was i was playing with this musical idea so like um, instagram live yeah yeah totally live, okay. totally doing doing yeah. instagram live and and I just, I, I kind of had this, I was playing around in Dadgad. I had the guitar tuned down to Dadgad sitting at my table and uh, was kind of messing with this chord progression and um, kind of talking through, I don't know how I got to talking about um, 
I got to talking about like the about like painting my house and how odd it was that like you I would chip I would chip paint off of my door jams. You know, I got kids and so we bang into everything and all all the door jams and all the trim in my houses when you when you chip it off and you peel it off, you either get this really vibrant green or this really vibrant pink color that <laughs> that the house was previously painted, which is so it's 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 kind of bizarre that someone would paint it that way, but it sounds like it was a fun place to be uh, back in the day, and it still is. <laughs> and so I was messing with this idea, and I was kind of trying to come up with some lyrics and talking about stuff. And and Paul Hoffman from Green Sky was actually on because he was in a similar situation, you know, oh, just yeah, at home yeah. trying to hang out with people on the internet. And he actually latched on to something that I said about about how you know the idea that like you know you can you can paint you can paint over these things you paint you can paint your walls, but um, but the old colors are still there, and and that and that's kind of true about that can be true about your own sort of personal growth. It, it it unless you unless you go back and really like take the paint off, a lot of this a lot of work. Sometimes the work that we do on ourselves it ends up just being like a layer of paint, and when you start to chip away at it, all the old stuff is still there, you sure. know. And so Paul kind of latched onto that, and he was like, "I think that's what your song like. I think that's." what the song is about, you know, and he kind of helped me kind of crystallize around the idea. And then I was kind of off and running and I kind of wrote the song more or less over like three successive days, Instagram live sessions. And, and you could, in fact, you can still go on my Instagram. You can, you know, you can go on my Instagram to the, whatever the Instagram TV and you can go back in time and you can see there's these three segments in a row of me putting this song together. So what is writing a song live in front of people look like? I mean, are you, are you just, trying things or you actually have something and you're kind of auditioning it or are you like pretty raw live in front of the people uh, you know this is the only time i've ever done this but the first day was like uh first day was just messing around on the guitar and i think paul was there on the second day where i had kind of like i kind of had like a little bit of a melody that i was starting to sing and it's not when i think about it now i'm like man what why, how how was i comfortable doing that because writing for me is such a personal process like I can't really even write if there's other people in the house that can overhear me generally you know so to why like, do you think you were what was going on I don't know I think I was just feeling really I think I was feeling really like I was okay being really vulnerable and I was I think I was just really kind of needing I don't know what it was it's like I was needing the interaction and and but and also people were like really encouraging I think like I was, people were hitting me up after the first session and they're like, Hey, how's the song coming? Oh, you know? cool. And so the next day I got on there and I'm like, Hey, I've been working on this. Here's, it wasn't as though I was like writing the lyrics while I was online. It was almost more like I was like checking in. I'm like, Hey, here's where I'm at now with this. And this is what I'm working on. You know, I've got the A part and then I just came up with this B part. And then the third day it was like, I'm pretty sure I've got this thing done. I'm going to play it for you. So this, this chord progression though, kind of was the first thing. Totally. Place just a little bit of that. Yeah. So it's just it's just this really basic. It's uh it's just it, it's like this. It's like a one, four, three, six kind of thing where. So cool. I love that. So that was the first part, and then it was Paul who kind of suggested. Were you already working with some lyrical ideas, or was that out of the blue what he suggested? It was out of the blue. I was just, I was just, I, it was a, it was a period of time. It was actually before I sort of started my, my show, the Happy Hour, which has become a podcast, which is in part kind of like me playing with ideas and talking about matters of being. 
I would I would go on on Instagram and I would just kind of talk to people and kind of talk through ideas. And so I was I was just I was kind of just like discussing some things that were on my mind. And in the context of kind of trying to maybe figure out what what this song was going to be, and and Paul latched onto this. I was talking about yeah this this odd phenomenon where I just chipped a bunch of paint off one of my door frames, and Which, there it was again, the green and the and the white, the green right. and the pink. Which made it into the lyrics, obviously. So you you take this concept kind of idea from Paul, and you take it back and actually work it into some lyrics, and then you go on Instagram Live for the next session. Was that kind of how it went? Yeah, totally. Like like. Paul mentioned that stuff, and right away I was like, oh, cool. I was like, that's the bridge. And I was like, it was like to the five. I have painted all these walls. Still they haunt me. I mean, that was like the line that came yeah. out of it. And then, the, and then the second bridge, which um, the second bridge was a variation on that. It's not really a bridge. It's more of like, a, like a, what we call like a channel or a pre-chorus. It was like... I have painted all these walls, trimmed to ceiling. Yeah, you know that was that was like that was what that was what Paul, that was what Paul gave me, and then I kind of worked my way back from that. The song isn't really necessarily about that, and I'm not even entirely sure what the song is about. It's a fun thing about writing a song is that it, you know it can be about anything yeah. to whoever's listening. Right. I'll tell you what it's about for me. I would love to hear it. Well, I think the thing that I love about it is, especially given everything that's gone on these last few years, you know, just a reminder to everyone that they're not alone, you yeah. know, and that's that's important because I think, you know, you talk about the layers of paint, which is a great analogy for just how we evolve and kind of unfold as people and you put layers on and you take layers off and you do a lot of exterior, then you do a lot of digging deep, but yeah. It's easy in the various phases of that process to think that you're alone, you know, because you you almost start to think that, you know, and everyone goes through that. But you you start to think you're in this process that only you're going through. And it's sort of the exact opposite. Totally. And not to not to like minimalize it or trivialize it. But but there's almost no experience you can have that's unique to you. That's right. You know, And, and you're so right when you're in the midst of this stuff, especially when you're in the midst of dark confusing times it feels so it it can feel like you are the only like you're the last man on earth right and ironically with what we've got going on now we have maybe one of the first times in the history of humanity where we're actually all all over the globe going through this same exact fucked up thing you know that's challenging us all to the core and pushing us even deeper into that corner of thinking that we're alone but actually bringing to life the reality that we're as kind of unified in a way as we've ever been. Totally. And that, and, and the chorus, you know, it's just a, it's a one line chorus and it just kind of came, that part just really kind of popped out. It didn't really take any work. It just kind of came into form and it felt at the time it felt really so, it felt so fitting and so kind of like, uh, like, like essential. It was like the distillization of Everything like I was yeah. like I was like yes this is this there, there, this couldn't be any I, I I can't do any better than this you know what I mean it was one of those moments it's always so reassuring as a songwriter to put something down on paper and be like that is it instead of being like eh, maybe I need to tweak that a little bit or how can I make that a little better or how can I get down more down to the essence I mean there's kind of nothing more essential than that than that line when it came to kind of the assemblage of the of the yeah. song itself. Well, it's an awesome song, man. I really love Thanks, it. Thanks, man. Give us a little, uh, give us a little snippet. I'll do it. I'll take you through the first chorus. So, 
am I the only one here breathing? Am I the only one awake? Is mine the only heart that's beating? The quiet is almost more than I can take. I have painted all these walls, still they haunt me. I have waited for so long, still I'm wanting at night. I wander through my memories of what seemed like only passing shows, but still. It's only just a reimagining of all that was written long ago. I am lying here in bed, should be sleeping. I am listening instead. Get the feeling that I'm not alone. I'm not. awesome man <laughs> sounds great thanks man thanks for joining me bud yeah man thanks for thanks for having me absolutely
What's up, Krusty? What's up, Buxton? How you doing, brother? <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> All right, we've got the amazing Mr. Andy Falco here, and we are going to talk through Means to an End, correct? Yeah, Means to an End, which is uh, one of two songs I contributed to this record. Um, and when I, when I think of the songs on a String Dusters record, we always make an effort to kind of fill these different categories. And I think actually the, the bigger effort is to create a well-rounded album that covers a lot of vibes. And there's got to be something that is really raging fast, just a yes. lot of s- sort of, you know, that crazy energy. And the reason for that is because it translates, obviously, really well to a live show. And it's just part of the String Duster sound. So when this song was coming together, did you have all that in uh, mind? This song was tailor-made okay. for live String Dusters shows. There you go. You know, it was from the conception of it. It was I was looking for something upbeat, fast, something that potentially could have a jam, which it does. And you need a few of those. Need a few of those. <laughs> and I always um, tell people, you know, it's such a great gift of being in a band is having a context to write music for. Yeah. You know, and Jeremy was talking about that too, about how a lot of his songs, while they may end up in different places, you know, they, he writes them kind of for himself and for the band. And to have that direction behind your songwriting is such an awesome thing. It's really, it informs a lot, you know, when you're, when you, when you, when you, you know, a lot of times when I'm writing, I I write in batches, you know, and this one came out of like the 2020, you know, pandemic batch, which was, I I wrote a lot. In fact, I, you know, I go through, I use, you know, the, uh, the, the message, you know, voice, voice memos, voice memos, and I, I just whenever I have ideas, like they go in here, and um, including this one. So there's, I was going through to find some stuff for this song, and 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 you know, I was like, oh yeah, there's like all these. I was working on a lot of material. The, this particular one, you know, when it started, it was yeah. The the goal was to find a Duster's Rager tune. And so, so what was the first element of this song to come to life? Was it a uh, the chords was it lyrics what was kind of the starting place i think it started with the riff you know which is um you know just it goes i think that i think i had that idea of just it just was like a nasty i wanted something that was just gonna have that 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 dad it's not dad yet but that yeah. that drop d you know nasty yeah dark kind of tone because um you know it was a tar- it was a, it was a dark time yeah you know really yeah. so um that's what i was kind of looking for so i found just this simple little almost like a heavy metal like power riff you know so before you even had lyrics you were deliberately moving in a certain direction yeah. via the music yeah okay yeah i knew it was going to be something and i knew i think you know the Lyrically speaking, the sentiment of the song was definitely a reaction to just 2020, you know, the, the just the way the world was fucked, you know. Yeah. I mean, it was it was just and 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 this one was really just kind of a, a reaction to to a lot of what was like happening in the, like the, the divisiveness in social media and, and and all that. And so I think that was kind of like the thought of means to an end was like 
like social media is kind of like a means to like the end of humanity potentially, you know, was like, oh, that was sort of like, message. yeah, you know, uplifting messages like that. But that's, you know, I was, what was going well, on, you know, to that. and it was kind of like, holy shit, you know, like, and that's where I was like, I knew the song was going to be kind of about that. And so I wanted, you know, the darkness. I wanted that, you know, almost, you know, hard rock kind of sounding, yeah. you know, riff. Um, and and the fast bluegrass, you know, which we, you know, Duster's bluegrass groove is, you know, you can picture it in your head and that's like, you know, what you're writing for. Yeah. And, and we've, as we have said before on this podcast and on probably most of the interviews that are covering Toward the Fray, there was a shift here for us, for the band and moving toward a more kind of serious angle on the lyrical content, on the message of the songs. And this one fits squarely yeah. in that category. And that's just a reflection of not only what was going on, but I think sort of where we are at in our lives and the things that we're noticing and now subsequently want to speak out on a little bit. Yeah, and, and, inter and not surprisingly, interestingly, what I always loved is that we all kind of came to the table with these songs and there was just an automatic right. running theme. We were all going through the same thing. Right. We were all feeling the same stuff. And so um, it kind of was like easy to sort of select the songs for the record because it, it they came together nicely. And, and this one originally, you know, too, like this one was the fast bluegrass and then it had the chorus, which was like a weird, I don't really know. I was trying to remember where that, those changes for that chorus came from. I don't really know. I think I just had, I had it in my head and it's a little bit, it's not like crooked, I don't think, but it has some short measures and, and, um, Originally, it was like, you know, I was listening to the work tape. It was like halftime. Oh, interesting. And, and the know, chorus was. Yeah. So what would that have so sounded it was like? like? You know, so it was like, um, so you'd be going like, it's a means to an end. What can a person do when it ends up in a Would it land the salvation? It was straighter. It had okay, now like play some, us, if you don't mind, play us what, what it sounds like. So the original, what it ended up being is, um, it's a means to an end. What can a person do when it happens to Will we find our salvation? Can we try to clear the way to hear what others have to say? As we go in our own crea creation. Very Weird. Cool. <laughs> no, it's really, it's really cool. We, we were talking. I was talking about this with Andy. The harmonic rhythm, which is another way of saying the speed at which the chords change. So sometimes there's lots of chord changes coming at you faster. And this one does a similar thing where when it, to the song that you know Andy and I were talking about, tragic too, and. When you get to the chorus, things start moving faster, yeah, right? And it picks up this energy and it draws the attention, and it's almost like the song is building to kind of this crescendo, which is what happens in a chorus. That's right, exactly. And so, and because the, the the verse changes are very simple and you know not moving as much, you know. <laughs> That's all the changes. Yeah, right. You know, it's like very long, you know, before it moves. So then, yeah, when it gets to the chorus, it, it has that motion, which 
is what you want, I yeah. think, you know, in a chorus. And, and, um, and, and then when it came to the band, how much of the arrangement did you feel like you had in your head? Because I'm, I'm trying to think back. I know, you know, there's that banjo. We came up with that in yep. sessions. Yep. Yeah, that cat happened with the band. But the I had the, the, the form for the jam, which is, you know, eventually to... Because actually, I, I sort of found it on 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 my on these recordings, and it was like a, like a little roughed out demo. Yeah, like that a little roughed out demo where I just um, I think it's like right over here. Um, if you know. I would I would I would you know venture to say that ninety nine percent of musicians have a lifetime of material on voice memo. Oh, if you <laughs> lose your phone, that's it. All your ideas that's are right. And you know I. I saw like a uh, you know a Woody Allen documentary one time and 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 he it was interesting because you're talking about his process and he's like oh yeah and he's like got this drawer and he pulls out and he just has like these little papers with ideas and he's like yeah whenever I write I just go into this pile of papers and yeah. go and it's like, no no yep. no and then you you find on something that's a launching point and then. You know. Well, and and part of and I do the same thing. And when it's time to write, a lot of times I comb through my voice memos. And interestingly, you know, you, you go through these different phases of writing. And when you're in one phase, you're almost in this idea generation phase, not necessarily as in tune with the part of you, the artist part that figures out whether these are the thing. You're just coming up with stuff, you just and you don't know what's coming out. No. But then later, sometimes, you know, when you're more in that frame of mind, okay, there's a String Dusters record coming up, or I just want to finish some material, that's when you move into that next phase, and you start to kind of file these things away. Yeah, and And I I might even make notes, like, on some of them, or star them, like, oh, that one might be cool, like, when I'm going in for Dusters, or put any kind of character, so I can, because there's hundreds and hundreds of these right. little snippets every of musician's ideas. iphone i swear you know I, so but, you um, had a, a roughed out yeah so this one was like the you know so i had like kind of like the roughed out um this is like the roughed out this is like a 1.0 version and like this an one, early demo that you had made. yeah and this one like i sometimes there's like little bits and pieces like i found like a toy of fray a whole different version so I'm, you hear i'm i already have like a lyric Ninety percent. So I probably wrote this on that day and worked on it, and this one probably came quick. Where I had the lyrics, I had this idea, and it sort of pieced together and got it to the point where I had some verses, mostly, you know, where they were at, and and the arrangement, except for the this jam. And then the very next thing, and this is about you know, you know, just a little while later, I have this, which is just the jam idea. Mm-hmm which turned out to be like when we recorded a fiddle jam. And by the way, for those of you listening right now, you're hearing audio straight from the iPhone. Yeah, straight <laughs> from the, the iPhone. Yeah. Into the microphone. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like the shape yeah. of the jam. Sure. And, you know, to get yeah. more because means to an end, you know, like the idea of the jam is to bring it to the end, you know, like apocalyptic almost. Yeah. Yeah, and then chorus. that halftime chorus. Yeah, that's right. You know, and then um, you know, so I think that's how we originally did it with the band. And by the way, we only had, you know, a day or two to go over all of these songs together because it was during the pandemic that we we got and not together. just not just go over them like arrange them yeah, and right. prepare them for recording and for yeah. a song like this. 
you know, this song you can tell is going to have a place in the live show. Oh yeah, it's it's designed know. for the live show, which our records too. We've gotten to the point where that 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 we bridged the gap. I feel like in the last few records between the live performance and the the, the recordings, where we are jamming and we are improvising in the studio. And so you mean like before that. There was maybe somewhat of a disconnect between what we did live and what we recorded. Yeah, I feel like we 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 tightened up our arrangements. We tried to make sort of like you know maybe for lack of better term like radio friendly arrangements, and then we would you know bring those to the show, and then we would maybe sometimes extend them for jams. But now I think we kind of do all of that. It's all kind of one thing for us, close or at least closer to one thing, you know. And Um, and then as we were arranging as a band. I, I I always think it's important to find jams and segments like there's a, a big fiddle jam and it really plays to to G Rass's strengths yeah. as a musician, you know. And yeah. and those are the things that you learn over years as a band. And yeah, that's you lear- your t- that's part of your ten thousand hours yeah, plus, and you, you know. And you learn what what people's strengths are and you, you learn different roles that you can play and you know, if you ask me, even though this record was in a lot of ways rushed because we just didn't have time during the pandemic. I think it also allowed us to really play to our strengths and rely on those things that we have yeah. figured out as a group over time. Do stuff that you, we knew was going to work, yeah. you know, rather than, um, you know, we didn't have the time to really experiment with this. And, and in a way, I think that was a great evolution of, of one of our records where we didn't, we did find that like initial spark of the songs, you know what I mean? That, you know, sometimes when the, when the, when the song first happens, it first comes out, there's just something special about that. Even if, you know, you go back and sometimes you can refine things, but these songs weren't quite as, we didn't have the time to refine every detail. And so we just kind of went in with that initial spark and yeah, like what was natural and what felt just right for the songs and playing to our strengths and all that stuff, I think made for a very, like a, a, another pro- part of our process, which is always an evolution with each ra- record, yeah. you know? Well, I agree. And I think that this, this song is a, a great example of that. And, uh, thanks for joining me. Today, yeah. Man. yeah that thanks was really thanks cool. for having me. Yeah. yeah. Duster's record, another one of my instrumentals, comes to life. I don't get to sing, but I do get to write a lot of music for the band, and I feel very privileged to have these shredders bring their creativity and their chops to my tunes. That's always been such a fun thing for me over the years. And just like a lot of the other songs that that we have going on and a topic that you've heard in some of these short interviews, this one was definitely written with the band in mind, for the band, and has an arrangement that really lends itself to the live environment, to the Dusters live show. It's got that big 
jammy banjo solo over sort of that that funky groove from the third part. But the first two parts of this song, they came first, and I was experimenting at the time. I still am. I love this certain type of chord voicing on the banjo on the first, third, and fourth strings. Really cool, melodic sound, the, the voicing sound like this as you kind of climb up the neck of the banjo. So you get all these cool, pretty sounds with those voicings, and you can take a melody, like for this tune, Revolution, the melody is really just but played with all the banjo notes you hear. And then the second part kind of continues that, that same theme. So the melody, again, sort of unfolding on that first string, but with all the notes. busts into that funky groove and we play that melody right there in all three octaves and it sounds like this. the top of the form right there. So when I wrote this tune, I feel like I had a pretty solid idea of the arrangement that we would be going for. Pretty similar, kind of traces a similar course to some other instrumentals that we have uh, that, that we've recorded, where it states the melody up front, banjo and fiddle play that together. And we go all the way through the form, all three parts. And then we do some solos where we just kind of loop the first two parts. And uh, dobro, guitar, fiddle all play solos there. Then we come back, state the melody again. And all of this time, through all the solos in the beginning of the melody, we're, we're in that first groove that the first two parts are played in, where we're doing like our standard, what we call two-beat bluegrass rhythm, playing the, the normal rhythm parts as we roll through the chord changes and we're building up all this tension, then we get to that C part after we're restating the melody and a big groove change and also big harmonic rhythm change. You have all these chords changing and now you just land on this one chord, change to this funky groove, and that is the top of the jam section. So you kind of build all that tension and then we, we set out to jam, to build a big solo where Banjo actually takes the lead on this one and we work together, we give ourselves some headroom. We don't start that small, we don't really break down on this one, but we set up the groove and then we go on a journey together. And these types of solo sections are different than 
the shorter kind of more standard solos that most songs have you know someone plays a verse someone plays over the chorus it's a finite amount of time you're in you're out you make your statement this is a totally different thing and these kind of solos really have to be tracked mostly live so you know you take three four five shots at the tune and you find one of these big jam sections that has most of what you're looking for maybe you take one part of one and one part of another and you know go in and fix whatever mistakes are in there but the the idea the the unfolding of this big musical statement between the soloist and everyone who's supporting that everyone you're playing with that that's just a moment that you really got to capture and same goes for the live show you know it's just all about being present with the music and you got to pace yourself you got to listen and yeah you just got to build it up as a group and i remember when we were tracking this we came to this section and the band was just cooking and that's that's when we start to kind of explore and develop some thematic ideas and see where it goes Whoever you're playing with, you know, in this case, my bandmates are there just with me and they're coloring those ideas in really cool ways. It's building, it's evolving, it's unfolding and seeing where those things go. It's just a big part of what we do. That's that's what jamming's all about. boys right there that's fun to listen back to a lot of cool stuff going on behind the solo there it's great it's got like the like the funk chords falco's doing like just those hot funk chords travis has got a really funky bass line he's all over the place and andy hall's just got those accents going on those like filling the space and kind of answering and then Gras is really holding it down on the chop but yeah, these are these are always fun just to go on, go take the journey, buy the ticket, take the ride, go on a musical adventure and do it with with these guys. What an honor, what a pleasure. I don't think I've had most of my songs that I've written for the band feature big jam sections that other people take, but this was uh this was my time, I guess. And I I love the way love the way this tune came out and I've got actually I'm going to play you guys here a little snippet of this is the demo that I made when I wrote this and I did this in my studio and use my programming gear the stuff that's pretty central to my my side project trad plus and kind of edges into like more electronic kind of ambient worlds but check this out this is the demo this is what I sent to the guys before they had ever heard this tune this is the Trad Plus version of Revolution, and this was their introduction to it. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, that was the original demo, we, and we took that and we turned it into this. I'll do a little crossfade from the demo into the Duster's version. Deep, deep dive into our new album, Toward the Fray. Check it out. It's out now. Big thanks to my bandmates for joining me today on Inside the Musician's Brain so we could go inside their brains and learn all this great stuff about their songs on the new record. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Huge thanks to our sponsors this season. Artist Works, your go-to for online music learning. Orvis, your go-to for outdoor gear and everything fly fishing, and Rickard Banjos, makers of quality banjo-related gear. We are also brought to you by Osiris Media and Americana Vibes. On the next installment of the podcast, I sit down to chat with Nate Hiltz of the Dead South. Loved getting to know Nate and learning more about this really unique, really cool, really popular band. And you can catch all that in two weeks right here when we go back inside the musician's brain. Hey music fans, we wanted to let you know about Music on the Mountain, a show that will feature Anders Osborne, Dogs in a Pile, and Saints and Liars. This show will be directly after the Divided Sky Foundation's fun run at 2 p.m. on Saturday, May 18th at the base of Akimo Mountain in Ludlow, Vermont. The show is presented by The Phoenix, a national nonprofit organization offering support to those in recovery and anyone impacted by substance use to celebrate recovery. If you're running in the Divided Sky Foundation's fund run, you'll be automatically registered for the show. It's a family-friendly event, and all proceeds from ticket sales and other donations benefit the Divided Sky Foundation. Visit Music on the Mountain, that's musiconthemtn.com, for more info and to get tickets. That's musiconthemtn.com. Hope you enjoy.